All right, Benny, we're going to start today's pod in a cross-legged position as we try to reach our inner zen and our inner calm today. You have reached tune-up ASMR. That's right. (laughs) What's going on, everybody? How how are you today? Uh, Apologies for last week not hopping on, even though this particular podcast has been scheduled for one whole week, so we're finally getting to 181. What are you going to do? Benny Horowitz, how are you? Back from Chicago. I was in the Windy City. You know, I obsessively watch the Blue Jean Committee. (laughs) I can't help but go to Chicago without thinking about, like, you know, the French connection, the fugitive, adventures in babysitting, uh, rookie of the year, um, any John Hughes movie that's (laughs) Chicago adjacent. And... Uh, I don't know. And the back of the Aragon Theater where Gaslight played the show was, and I remember this from the last time we played, you know, literally like the elevated trains are are right behind. So where you go to like smoke cigarettes and weed at that venue, there's one of these trains like going six feet in front of your face like all day long. And it's just like really iconically Chicago. But as I told you, I had a busy couple days before. You know, I know the boys went out the night they got to Chicago and went to some famous cheeseburger place and then also did the deep dish pizza. Oh, wow. I don't know how they played a show the next day. (laughs) Your boy here went to the dispensary, went to Sweet Greens (laughs) and watched some bad TV and slept all night. That's what I did in Chicago. Was Aretha Franklin at either the uh, dispensary or the sweet green singing R E S P E C T? She was selling her own her own herb. <laughs> oh yeah, I love it. Yeah, Aretha's. <laughs> um, no, but I know you're a TV fan, and right. and you'll appreciate this anecdote. Yeah. I you know the, the morning um, before the show, you know, I had a nice sleep. I wake up early, and I, I like to reading a little Vonnegut, a paper book, uh, paperback. You know, I throw it in my back pocket, go to find some eggs. There you go. I got a, what are you reading there? A little, I got, where? <laughs> I got player piano. There, uh, there you go. We go. And I got breakfast of champions. I'm about what, halfway through. Yeah, we're oh. doing good. So I grab my book and I head to the sunny side diner. It's like a cute little greasy spoon inside of a house. And I sit at the bar and who takes my order but literally Tina from the Bear? <laughs> no way. Looks like her, talks like <laughs> her, vibe is like her. And of course, since Tina is my server, we start getting into it a little. We chop it up, you know, and we're we're having a discussion. She's funny. She's got that like quick thing. Chicago people talk a little shit. <laughs> and I gotta say, I'm even more impressed with the bear because. I found myself in a, uh, an extremely iconic Chicago moment where they obviously did their job in casting and, you know, capturing a vibe of the city because I swear Tina was my, my waitress. It was hilarious. Well, you know what segment captures the vibe of this entire show? I don't, and, Benny. What is it? And quite frankly, doesn't have enough Bruce Hornsby in it. It's this day of music history. Ooh. Couldn't agree more. Not for me, though. Not for me. On this day in 1974, Young Frankenstein opens in theaters. Mel Brooks, classic. Gene Wilder, one of my favorite fucking movies. I'd say in the uh, running for top 10 comedy of all time. Members of Aerosmith take a break from recording the Toys in the Attic album and go see the film. They laugh so hysterically at the scene where Igor tells Dr. Frankenstein to walk this way and the doctor imitates Igor's walk. Returning to the studio, they now have the title to the track of the song they've been working on. Wow. I think this is awesome in two ways because A, I love like the fact that young Frankenstein made its way into Aerosmith and Mel Brooks, of course, punctures culture and and yet another, you know, step of the ladder. But this also adds up to everything I've ever heard about Aerosmith, which is like basically that band is just two guys who've been so fucked up out of their mind for like 50 years, can barely write songs. 
and just fucking throw darts and just hit this weird shit and do it with so much confidence that it works. And this story totally adds up to every story <laughs> I've ever heard about Aerosmith. Um, so yeah, that's how they name songs. I got a great uh, Mel Brooks story for you. If you got two seconds. Come on. So when I was in California last month, right, I get in the Uber, right? And the lady that's the Uber driver, she's like, yeah, like I just had somebody really famous in the car right before you. And I'm like, oh, it's like California. It's probably like a real housewife or something like that. She's like, yeah, like he was listening off. Uh, his assistant was listening off all these movies that he did. And she's <laughs> like blazing saddles, young Frankenstein. And I'm yeah. like, are you kidding me? Did like you right have before Mel Brooks me? in your That's car? crazy. That's so what crazy. did it smell like? Oh, luxury. What did it smell nice? Like a did little. Have, yeah. Yeah. yeah did you leave like a scent of like leather-bound books I it was like a, the mix of uh leather-bound books and the uh the fragrance that every proper dominican uber has it's like it's like <laughs> a nice mix of that beautiful <laughs> they need a tree in that scent right 100 percent. yeah all right benny on this day in 1956 elvis gave his final performance on the louisiana hayride uh, you know we talked about uh this and the louisiana hayride a bunch when the elvis movie came out uh presley made 50 appearances on the show and at the end uh horns logan made his first appearance for the now famous phrase elvis has left the building which mm. continued straight up into his death and even to this day so this yeah. day 1956 the last louisiana hayride classic i mean that that phrase is still used yeah. right like like people still leave the building in 2023 and they probably don't know what they're quoting it's iconic yeah so shout out to him this day in 1956 all right we got a couple unfortunate happy trails here to kick mm -hmm. off the program mm -hmm. today mm -hmm. um the world lost a absolute legend of, of comedy, of television. That's kind of why we started off talking little TV, little movies here today. Norman Lear, a great television writer, producer who introduced, who introduced political and social commentary into the network sitcom, included shows like On the Family, The Jeffersons, Good Times, Maud, uh, Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Um, he passed away at the age of 101. Should we all be so lucky? Uh, mm. Benny. Just a quick in memoriam for the legend himself. What's uh, some of your favorite Norman Lear programs? Well, it's interesting. This is like one of those iconic names. It's almost like, oh, like you should know about this person. Then you grow up and I'm like, oh, I get why I didn't know about it. like because all the stuff that was really impactful was just before my time, really. You know, like All in the Family was almost gone from TV when I was coming up. Jefferson's was still on, but it was in reruns. I saw he had something to do with different strokes. If that's the case, then that was probably the one I watched by far the most out yeah. of all of his shows. But the thing I realize now, especially when you go in memoriam, is realizing like how the things I was watching were completely shaped by the things he made. And the places they were going in TV and stuff were like places that he clearly paved a lot of the ways. And this, you know, I'm listening back to an old Fresh Air, Terry Gross with Norman Lear. And they're discussing, uh, you know, and they, they play some Archie Bunker stuff. And it's so hard to hear now, you know, like just the phrasing and the terminology he's saying. But with the laugh track... I'm like, wait, is this Archie Bunker? Is he like the original Ron Swanson? Is he the original Jack Donaghy? You know, like like the the liberals uh, view of like what this other side is. It's like this extremely um, overblown, you know, version of the other side that you eventually can like soften up to a way you like, you know, and I think that's the reason some of these characters like you know, if you took Ron Swanson or Jack Donaghy or Archie Bunker out of context and told me what they said, I'd find it all detestable. But in the context of this stuff, you find it digestible. And, I, you know, I don't know how much that's helpful in culture, it, it, you know, kind of playing that other side. But it seems like uh, it softens things and can open up dialogue and and is like comedy is a good way to get at people w with these things. And I think Lear really understood that pushed into it his entire career, um, even with advocacy uh, after was making TV. So yeah, I, I gotta say I've learned 
more about Norman Lear in the last like three days than I think I knew, you know, more on just like reputation. I thought he was an author. I, I was think like, so. Yeah. Lear. I was yeah. like, I was like James Joyce. Oh. <laughs> it took me a minute to even put it together, honestly. Oh, I mean, I, I think now easy with y'all subversive is almost not subversive anymore to try to take a construct and completely destroy it. That's kind of the current currency. When he did this, I mean, in like the 70s and 80s, we're coming out of like network sitcoms uh, being like Leave it to Beaver and or like I Love Lucy and all that stuff. And, and to see that kind of diversity, that kind of um, a, a, a tool where you take a, an idea, you put it through a lens that's digestible unfortunately now you're starting to see like the norman lear playbook uh be used by people that don't have the best motives but it, it, it took them 50 years to try to crack the norman lear code which is absolutely amazing yeah that's interesting yeah so norman lear big ups my one of his underrated shows for me i don't know if you ever watched his show it, it was on nbc for like a minute uh the gerard carmichael show i remember it i yeah. didn't watch it yeah but yeah. So right up to the end, this guy was working. I think he's still got a few stuff that's still yet to come out. So shout out that's to awesome. Norman Lear. It's awesome. All right. We have one more Happy Trails. Uh, this one, a bit more contemporary, but just as impactful oh. for us here at the tune-up. Oh. Andre Brower passed away. The Emmy Award-winning actor died at 61. Uh, he, he had an undisclosed battle with lung cancer happening uh, for the better part of 2023. Uh, he lost that fight this week at the age of 61. You're like, Andre Brower, how do I know him? And all I have to say, Captain Holt, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Captain Dad. Had 100%. Or if you want to go a little bit deeper, Homicide Life on the Street. Also, great roles in Glory, Primal Fear, and City of Angels. But for us here at the tune of, like we said, Captain Holt right here, oh. Benny. Th this one's a big one for you. Honestly, this, this killed me. This is like uh, one of those characters on TV who you watch so much. And I don't realize that they're like a weird father figure in my life. Just this like beacon of steadiness and light. That character kills me. And up until the day he died, I have two or three seasons like always sitting on my phone of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. It's like what I fall asleep to. It's comforting. And Holt and his voice and the way he played that character a dry sense of humor going into that type of character, the way he leaned into, you know, being a, a black gay police lieutenant in New York city and like, and what that looks like. It's just, I don't know. There was so many ways that it could have went, I guess, wrong and been not funny. And he, he made it both effective and funny. And then you learn, you know, this is a, he had a full ride to Stanford for engineering and then decided to, you know, get into drama and went to Juilliard. This is a proper like theater actor was in the plays in the park for years. And, and you know, I'm talking Hamlet style stuff. Three boys lived in New Jersey, put up the statue. <laughs> Captain Holt. I want to see that at the turnpike. You know what I mean? <laughs> if you really want to inspire me to do something as I'm driving down the NJTP. <laughs> so let's go. Um, yeah, this one's really sad, honestly. Like, uh, like I miss him already. And and I was just watching it like the other night, just like, ah, what's my favorite like Captain Holt episode? Let me get into it. You know. Uh, has he ever made an appearance on the old drum kit? No. Oh. <laughs> thank you smithers hola madrid <laughs> yeah oh that's good a nice captain holt for next yeah. year i love that maybe love we'll that. see that's uh yeah no gone way too soon i feel like this guy probably this guy would age into uh, you oh. know having t uh, 20 years longer on, on his career so um, many oh, so andre many Brower. roles yeah so many roles were there for andre brower it's sad don't fucking smoke he only quit smoking in 2010 Died of lung cancer. He probably had like 30, 40 years of smoking, I'm guessing. So I'll fuck with that shit. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to speak now about somebody who does a little bit of smoking, both of the SIGs and of the opposition. I'm going to talk a little Eddie Murphy. I'm going to talk a little oh. Beverly Hills Cop 4. I'm going to talk a little Axel Foley. I'm here so for it. At Let's see. Let's so go. this trailer just dropped. Um, and, and as you can see on the screen, uh, back in Beverly Hills, Eddie Murphy oh. is 
Um, and bacon. In in the first trailer for Beverly Hills Cop, a latest installment of Eddie Murphy's beloved classic, the actor 62 returns as Axel Foley back on the beat in Beverly Hills. Um, After his daughter's life is threatened, uh, Foley teams up with his new partner, which is Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And old pals such as Billy Rollswood and John Taggart turn up uh, to help him uncover a conspiracy. This film has Kevin Bacon in it. This film has all sorts of goodness in it. Um, in the original 1984 film, it was a box office smash. Um, that was a big reason how Eddie Mur- Murphy became more than just the SNL guy, more than just a great stand-up comedian. It's how he became a movie star. So Axel Foley back in the fold. Benny, how stoked are you for this? Eddie Murphy's back? He's back the way I want him. No, this is perfect, Denny. This is everything I want. And it's going to, I guarantee you, it's going to be a huge smash. And there's going to be another one. Like, like we're going re back into Beverly Hills cop territory. They can't like, everyone's like, oh, they don't make original stories anymore. Yeah, they do. They make like thousands of them. I see them on every fucking streaming service every single night. These beautifully made arty movies with uh, deep conceptual stuff and great acting and beautiful imagery. It's there. It's there if you want it, right? But then there's this. And I want this, like, throwback to the 80s shit. You know what I mean? Like, give me these, like, larger-than-life characters. Like, if I'm going to have to watch, like, car explosions and L.A. and all the blah, blah, blah that I'm going to see, what do you want to rather, like, would you rather watch Vin Diesel? Or you (laughs) want to watch Eddie Murphy go to work? Dropping these lines. You know what I mean? And that's the reason... I'm so confident about this is because I'm giving Eddie Murphy like a nod to his track record here. Yeah. Like, I don't think he's putting this out there if it's not right. No. You know what I mean? I don't. And and so at the baseline, I think it's going to be, we're not winning Oscars here, neither at the first one. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? This is going to be fun. It's going to be a thrill ride, some laughs, like everything I'm going to want. I'm fucking here for it. Now. BHC. My only pushback here is I they feel like we had this, us for that for this same the same conversation about coming to America when they redid that, but that kind of fell flat. But honestly, with yes. that one, yeah. too many cooks in in the kitchen. This is not a Kenya Barris production. The guy that brought you Blackish and a whole bunch of other yeah. stuff. This is Eddie Murphy, um, not written by Eddie Murphy, but he's back yeah. in the fold. So and also coming to America, to, it wasn't. It wasn't Zoolander 2. It wasn't Dumb and Dumberer. It wasn't unwatchable. I watched that whole movie. I was fairly entertained. It wasn't really made for me. I don't think it was a total embarrassment, you know, but it's also a victim of streaming and stuff like, you know, that movie just came out and got lost. There's there's a lot of stuff like that these days, too. And it was during COVID, so we were at home and not in the movie theater. A comedy that's not in the movie theater is going to have a tough time finding legs. I like that they're going bold again. They're, I just uh, was this comedy I just saw with uh, Jennifer Lawrence and oh. Matthew Broderick uh, out in Long Island, where that movie was 80s as fuck. There were some scenes in it. No was, hard feelings. No hard feelings that were just, you know, I'm like, what am I watching? Like, like Fletch? This is great. <laughs> you know, and I think we're throwing back to like the fuck it. Let's just have some fun in some movies. Shout out to the uh, to the producer of that film, Alex Sachs. Great TikTok follow if you're into the film biz kind of thing. Well, we had a comedy of errors and everything going on in New Jersey this past week. Benny, I don't know if you saw what happened in Newark, but we had a bull on the tracks. Benny uh, the bull? That's right. Coming direct from Red Bull Arena. No, but in, in all seriousness, a brown bull with long horns stood outdoors on the track. Track two at North Penn Station on what was that wednesday yeah thursday uh, as officers tried to wrangle the animals some commuters abandoned the station and opted for ride chairs the new jersey transit service was delayed which is not unusual uh the reason on thursday oh. was for this built bull that you see on the screen in front of you um not sure how long it took them to get it off but a morning commute that was made messy nonetheless do you see that guy how can you hate that guy look at that guy i guess Whoa. if you're trying to commute into the city this is not ideal for you a lost bull in Newark. Poor guy. You know? So what do we know any word on where he came from? I was not able 
you know, I feel like the state kind of took this under wraps real quick. So, you know, we, we may want to look into that. Yeah, yeah. Like what kind of illegal bull transport is going on at the Newark Elizabeth Seaport? You know, yeah. like uh, we might have animal trafficking going on. Uh, are we cracking something here, Denny? Hard hitting news. Bull trafficking. Axel but Foley Horowitz. Okay. I literally just took this train uh, a month ago get to newark and they make an announcement yeah there's some wire down in elizabeth uh like i don't know usually takes a while i'm like okay good update 30 minutes later yeah it's still going we're not sure i have to get off the fucking train and take an uber home from newark anyway so oh, wow. bull on the track wire in elizabeth it's always a crapshoot taking the uh nj the northeast corridor line it's always a crapshoot you never know Great gotta... song names right there, by the way. Bull on the tracks. I'd listen to that. Bulls on parade. There <laughs> we go. It. Um, so yeah, yo, right there by the New Jersey Devils. Um, a nice little fun oddity to bring us back into the I just so I you know, I see that guy. I see you know, Newark's a tough place for a human. Yeah. You know, to walk around. It's it's, it's unforgiving. So yeah, I feel bad for that bull, you know. It's not a lot of pasture land he's about to find by the uh by the train station. I hope he came from like the turtleback zoo and just it's just like just that's like, fuck it. I'm that's out. an animated movie I'd love to see. Yeah, well it'd be better if he got on the train. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I feel like this bull tried to buy a ticket. <laughs> uh well, you know who's trying to sell tickets, Benny Harris? The Brooklyn Dodgers. Oh, oh my no, excuse goodness. me, the Los Angeles Dodgers. What are we doing? The here? Brooklyn Dodgers. <laughs> All right. All righty. <laughs> after an egg cream. After months of speculation and a Toronto Blue Jays smokescreen, Shohei Otani is a Brooklyn <laughs> Dodger in an unprecedented move. Shohei Otani is about to opt to defer 90% of his salary until after 2033. We'll get into that in much detail later. Uh, the two way superstar inked a 10-year, $700 million deal. That's 700 big ones for you playing along at home. By far the most ever for a North American sports star. Uh, absolutely jaw-dropping. 680 of that $700 million, like I said, is going to be deferred until after 2033, meaning that he's going to be making only $2 million a year. Yeah, yeah right. I I exactly. So, Benny, two-parter here. What do you make of the Dodgers grabbing him, and then what do you make of this creative bookkeeping? Uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot to it. Like, you know, as you hear, uh, apparently the giants had a fairly parallel offer out there, like the same amount of money. Um, you know, I think there's something out of our understanding in this context, which is the simple signing of Shohei Otani success or not is bringing you X amount of dollars on the back end. Like that's something that I think is hard for us to, quantify and obviously something in play here it opens up the dodgers to like this insane market but take all that away and i'm just looking at it as a baseball fan right i'm looking at a lineup next year i mean you can make an argument that freddie freeman and mookie betts are you know two of the top 10 hitters in baseball already you know um both mvp candidates just last year now you're adding Otani to this lineup. Um, you still got Max Muncy sitting back there. You got some kids, you know, um, Gavin Lux. You still could could have something with. I mean, it's a, a formidable and powerful lineup. It's like a thing that's insane. But, you know, he's not going to pitch next year. Um, Dodgers still a little thin on front-end pitching. Um, and... That's, I think, the reason why this this thing got reframed is like, like this deal is worth it if the Dodgers are perennially in the National League championship game and World Series year after year after year. And if they can turn into a team that can just consistently spend in the next 10 years to keep that happening, you know, it's reasonable. And, and the way this is deferred gives that to them. The one thing I could could do without is this like Shohei Otani being super altruistic kind of thing, you know, like 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 oh look at this guy, you know, really taking one here, you know, like oh I don't know, like it's like it's like if you win the lottery and and you decide to take it at once or if you take your monthly payment deferrals, you know, um, you know I hear like some people saying yeah he'll be taxed uh, California style on twenty million dollars and then he'll 
buy a house in Boca Raton, establish residence in Florida, and then the $680 million is coming tax-free or something. You know, there's like, who knows what kind of shady business practices are going on here. It's not altruism. It's an extremely rich man. Um, I heard that it's like really unsettling to other agents, to other teams. They don't like the fact that this like, uh, is going to shake up the way that people are going to structure their deals furthermore. Um, and you'll probably see some like really terrible overcorrections from this. I'm imagining like Shohei Otani might work out, but the guy who's going to get this kind of deal next year and the year after that may not. And I think in kind of a trade, everything you have super team sort of, thing i think like this method is gonna fail for other people and it already has i mean when does bobby bonilla get paid off <laughs> next year right so, yeah like this isn't the first time it's happened and we're talking about somebody there's one thing i can say safely right is i like this happened i like he went to the dodgers i think it's fun for baseball but i like that the yankees aren't footing this bill I do yeah. like I feel like I got away with one in a way because you really do. You look at Shohei Otani as just a hitter, right? He's an excellent hitter. He's young. There's still more ceiling for it, particularly if he's not trying to pitch, you know, um, but he's literally going to get this surgery and try to play through it. That's a first. And I've never seen like like besides for one or two years in his career, there's not a whole lot of like. I just went up there for 600 at bats. Like I'm your DH kind of guy. I don't know exactly what the track record is. I don't know. You know, he's an extremely good athlete. He's, he's, I mean, this is a once in a kind, once in a lifetime player that you have to spend this money on. But I do think that the variables of things going wrong are so high compared to the, the payoff you almost had anyway, like Dodgers were a world series contender you know, without him. Um, so I love to see it, but I love that, that it's not in the Yankees. And so hours after Shohei Otani was introduced as a member of the Dodgers, they went out and made another splash. The Dodgers right. acquired Tyler Glass now and outfield uh, Manuel Margo uh, from yeah. the Rays in exchange for, oh boy, come on. I hate baseball names. Ryan Pepiat. Pepiot. Pepio? Pepio. And Pepio? Johnny DeLuca. Johnny DeLuca. Hey, Johnny DeLuca. That one's easy. Oh, okay. he's a quarterback for the Giants. All right. Yeah. Uh, the deal is contingent on Glasnow now signing the extension for the Dodgers, which he did today on Friday. Uh, Glasnow went 10-7 last season with a 3.53 ERA for the Rays. Uh, so Dodgers, you know, trying to sew up the rotation as well with Otani not pitching. I pose this question to you uh, yeah. for the Instagram audience and now for the YouTube audience and eventually right. for the audio audience. L.A. championship or bust? Does Otani get a ring while he is a Brooklyn Dodge? Oh, my God. L.A. I do. I don't know. Cutlets. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think so. I mean, like, odds are yes. Um, Because of what I said, like, sometimes it takes a little while to click. You know, any baseball is uh, the easiest game to throw off with injury and stuff like that. But. I think between the 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 check that the Dodgers are writing and the way Otani built it is like here it is we have a 10 year window to make this happen and I think they're going to get there. They've they've been there with some of this group already. They've gotten over the hump. You have champions on that team. Uh and and yes, I think the answer is yes and I think it's probably multiple. Um so good for the Dodgers, you know. Um and as far as pitching goes, I mean, everybody forgets Walker Bueller was a Cy Young candidate who's coming off Tommy John surgery. So now you have, you know, Miller, you have Glasnow, you have Bueller. You're starting to put together some of these young arms. You know, it's good. And and now they still have the money for Yamamoto or Jordan Montgomery or Blake Snell if they chose to, you know. So uh, Dodgers, yeah, sky's the limit, really. And the one thing about baseball you know, that I like compared to other sports. Like when the Warriors put together the super team, right? Mm -hmm. We were going into those seasons being like, this is kind of boring because unless something crazy happens, like they're going to win, 
we know they're going to win. I mean, you know, LeBron fucked us up the one year with, with, with that, of course. But the, the thing about baseball is, I mean, you're really like, you're only a couple weird turns away from, from the whole thing just being pretty mediocre. Um, so, you know, the building of a super team in baseball is not nearly as sure of a thing. And you have to throw an insane amount of money at the problem these days if you're trying to build it like the Dodgers are. So I think this is a, a, a total game changer in in the level it puts the league at and now the way other teams and players and agents are going to start constructing their futures. I think it's um, it's like a, the domino effect of this is going to be really, really fascinating to watch. And I love it. I love the absolute chaos that this is going to be because it starts with something like this. And then you're going to have, you know, in the future, MLB owners paying the estates of, of these guys in the name oh, yeah. of generational wealth. So this is something that, you know, if George Steinbrenner would have thought of it, he totally would have done something like this. I know that you don't love how the MLB offseason has gone. But well, honestly, I think in this day and age, people love a big move, something that they can react to. And, you know, this gave you all of that and then some. It did. But honestly, I'm still I'm I'm I am completely disappointed with baseball. I I think what's going on is ridiculous. I am like. I'm about as big of a baseball fan as there can be. Right. And I literally have to I have to go to the MLB section of a sport of bleacher report or ESPN or where I'm going, I have to click on the link and I have to find if someone got signed. Oh, okay. The Royals got a reliever. The Rangers sign a, a meddling starting pitcher for, for this amount. Like, and when you're covering basketball and these things start happening and all of a sudden all the pundits are like, look what the Pacers are doing. They're building this. They have this back. There's none of that in baseball. Seriously. There's no coverage. There's no getting hit with anything. I think this Otani thing saved the offseason. And literally, the, the biggest news of the last three days has been this motherfucker telling us what his dog's name is through an interpreter. Okay? That's the biggest fallout. And you have Cy Young pitchers sitting out there. Like, Blake Snell, what a Cy Young. He's about to go to some team and really help him probably. No one gives a shit. Baseball has a serious problem. I'm about as big of a fan as you could be. No one could tell you who was in the World Series last year. And besides for the Dodgers and the Yankees again, I don't know. The league is is completely lost. Um, but they got the conversation in the middle of a crazy week for the NBA that we're going to talk about. Football is crazy and has its own drama this year. How many times have we texted about baseball in November and December, like in the course of doing this podcast? And I've been texting you about baseball. So fair, I don't know. fair, fair. I mean, but that's just the Otani effect. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if that's any any credit to baseball the way they're doing it. And the Yankees getting Juan Soto. That kind of lit up the text thread a little bit, too, yeah. and making that big trade. Um, but how much does Otani deferring his payment scare you in Yankees' pursuit of Yamamoto? I mean, I don't know. Like, I have a feeling that there's going to be an immediate pushback. Like, one of those, uh, we're not colluding, but we're colluding kind of things on deals like this. Because I don't think they want this. You know, and I don't think they want this to be the precedent uh, moving forward. I think the one thing that's hilarious about it is like, you know, bear in mind, this Dodgers deal falls apart if the people who structured the deal are no longer with the Dodgers. And I think that's kind of part of this you have to talk about, because one thing deferred money does is give the problem to the next person, you know, and and it puts like. And I don't know how many like owners, you know, a GM is is happy to make that deal because GMs switch. Owners don't. And owners have to approve that. And they're going to be like, listen, I'm going to be paying this deal 10 years after you're even fucking here. And we, you know, and so I do I do think the domino of deferments is not is not going to be that crazy, actually. That's almost what we named the podcast, Domino of Deferment. That's but... very catchy. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben, let's get on to the hardwood, shall we? Uh, the Golden State Warriors forward Draymond Green, we talked about him before, has been suspended indefinitely for striking Phoenix Sun Center, Yusuf Nurkic in the face. It was announced today by Joe Dumars, executive vice president of 
and head of basketball operations for the NBA. This suspension is Draymond's fourth in the last year. Uh, the incident happened the other day uh, when the Warriors and Suns faced off. And Draymond ah. Green, we, we don't have the video, but essentially kind of sucker punched the guy. It, was, it, was, it looked like that. <sighs> Yeah, that, that, there we go. He got it. in One the of name those? of trying to draw a foul. Yeah. Um, Draymond Green's suspension will begin immediately. He he will be required Indefinite. to be certain league and team condition to return to play. So he's kind of getting the John Morant treatment, which I think for your fourth infraction, and especially after a year that has seen you, uh, what he choked Rudy Gobert, he's hitting Nurkic, he's doing all all of this stuff. Uh, what's going on with Draymond right now? Well, I mean, that's where I feel like this time the tone has changed, right? It, it feels like now the tone has changed from like, what a fucking asshole, what a maniac to like, uh, you're right, guy, you know, because like even Nurkic's post game was kind of like, I think he needs help. Like, I'm glad I didn't get choked. And Kerr is like, I don't even know who this guy is. And it's the first time he even invoked the fact that he punched out his fucking teammate and ruined last season, too. You know, like, and that's the thing. Uh, and you can see the expression on the players. Like once it happens, it's almost like this just defeat. It's like, ugh, here we go. Now it's all I have to talk about again for the next week. You know, um, so I, I'm imagining, you know, they're being kind of candid, cryptic about what's going on with Draymond. I'm guessing this is like, you're going to anger management classes. You're like, I don't know what the criteria is. But the guy, like, he's never apologized for it. And to some truth, you know, like, he says, I built my career on the back of, like, kind of being on that edge, right on that line, you know. And and it's not untrue for a guy his size with his skill set. He's just been chipping away at every little variable you can chip away at on a basketball floor forever. And and doing what he does and getting under people's skin is is part of the program, you know. Um, so shit, man, this is one of those things where I'd like to see like, oh yeah, he's going to come back and just be like, I don't know. Like if you could want Draymond Green to be an effective basketball player and ask him to like slow his role, you know, or whatever he's going to have to do. I don't think the two can coexist. And now he's got a target on his back from other players. Like you saw Nurkic, Nurkic is fucking with him a little. <laughs> He's pulling it. He's pulling the shirt. He's doing he's doing big man stuff when you're trying to get under someone's skin and they know they can. So every motherfucker he sees like that is going to be chipping away at him, trying to get that tech. Every ref is looking at him. He's in that Rashid Wallace territory that year. He got what? 41 texts or something like that. We thought would never be broken. The Joe DiMaggio of <laughs> NBA records is, is Rashid Wallace's tech record. So I think it's really bad. I yeah. think it's bad for him personally. I don't know when he's going to come back. And I think it's really bad for the team. Even last night, you're just watching uh, Jonathan Kaminga and Brandon Pajemski each play 30 to 35 minutes. They're both like, I don't think the jury's out on either of those players. Like, they're okay. They might be be okay. Moody might be okay. But, like, Clay's a year older. He's one of those, like sometimes I'm here, sometimes I'm not kind of players now. And fair enough. Guy's got a lot of fucking miles on him. He's not supposed to anymore. Um, but I I don't know. I guess I guess in the end, the th the person I feel the worst for is Steph. I do. I love Steph. Yeah. <laughs> I do. I'm a big fan, you know, and he's great for the league. He's great for everything. I like when Steph is good. I like when he's in the playoffs. And I feel bad that at this age, He's going to have to LeBron this team, you know, if he wants it to go anywhere, if he wants them to stay afloat before they decide to make a deal. And I feel like this is the first time maybe where Steph should really invoke like the leadership card. It's like how many miles, how much leeway is he given to Draymond Green over the years? And how many times has he apologized for him? Like, like maybe hold him to task now, you know, like everybody, like, I don't know. I know it's not really his style. But wouldn't you love to see Steph finally like drop the hammer? 
I absolutely would. And I think that's what Steve Kerr is trying to do because Steve <laughs> Kerr during this entire process has been kind of out yeah. of character too, complaining about the music being played at the arena in Phoenix saying like, oh, I agree with club. that. I agree oh, with come that. Come on. This, this is an entertainment property. I, I this is an entertainment it. property. No, I got to bring headphones for my kids when I bring them to games. <laughs> it's like a EDM fucking concert. I hate it too. I'm with Steve on that. Oh, okay. You're with Steve, but I think he- as I sit my little coffee. Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't say that if they're winning, you know, because the, the music in the arena is nothing new. They've been doing this for like 15 years now. No, it's so aggressive. It's so constant. And listen, Brooklyn is the worst because yeah. the fans are dog shit. So they have to pump it constantly. Cause You know, yeah, it sucks. So you've got Steve Kerr feeling a, a little bit of tension. Um, you've got the Clay Thompson contract situation because not only is he playing inconsistent, he's also up for some money, and they may just let him walk. So that kind of gets things a little testy. And now there's some speculation that if if this thing does go sideways, that Steph is going to be like, you know what, I want a trade ad here. So the end, it it seems like it's the end of that core in Golden State, but. Cores can't last, and I think that Draymond Green, though, he kind of escalates everything a little bit. Yeah. I don't think Steph's leaving. I really don't. It doesn't seem to be part of the narrative to me. But, like I said, behind closed doors, I would love to see him, like I said, drop the hammer. The only thing is, like, roster-wise, how are you dropping the hammer? Like, are you trying to get rid of Clay and Dre when they're values in the trade market are probably as low as they've ever been. You know, Draymond with that contract and Clay with the, you know, whoever gets him is going to have to try to re-sign him. You know, that puts them in a bad position. I don't think any of the kids they have are bringing back substantial returns. I mean, I think the only thing you're going to get back in this case is like, oh, uh, sure, we'll give you Isaac Okoro. You know, we'll get, like, like they could get some help, but I, I don't see what the big swing is here. Do they have the chips to even make a big swing at this point? No, it doesn't look like it. And you see a lot of these other teams that have kind of taken that step back to go forward. And the Warriors have continued to build. And, you know, they thought that that one year that they got the top draft pick, but that whole, everything didn't pan out. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Golden State going forward. But Benny, let's get to, I don't know what we're going to start calling this segment because it feels like every week I'm going to have like a Bucks thing to like absolutely go off on. We had another back in the wild bull. Yeah, man. (laughs) We had we had another Giannis. Look at him go. Look at him go. Giannis Antetokounmpo, as you can see here, exchanged heated words with members of the Indiana Pacers after their game the other day. Giannis went for a stars franchise record 64 point performance in the win um this after the bucks lost to the pacers um Giannis wanted because it was a, a franchise night and he broke a record he wanted the yeah. game ball because he loves to give these yeah. balls to hit his mom however it was also the first or the technically second game for a indian first pacers point. First rookie point. right yeah. and he wanted the game ball yeah. so they they took it uh, there, there's some conjecture about, oh, there, there's two balls here, and, and Giannis wanted the game one. Yeah. Uh, he thought that the Indian Pacers had it. So essentially w- what you're seeing here is a little bit of bad blood, a little bit of, of dust up. But my point, beyond what this incident was actually about, you did not see incidents where you have Chris Middleton going up to the uh, opposition and raising a stink about anything. You have Giannis being so vocal yeah. and and... I don't know if this is a, a good thing, but I think it kind of puts a big crack in the armor of what the Giannis image is that he's worked so hard, hard to carry here. Listen, so interesting situation in Milwaukee. There's more to this than meets the eye. Yeah. You know, and this is where I wish people like watch games. I watched this game. Yeah. This thing was chippy. There was like a thing with Milwaukee in this game, which is like, yeah, yeah, we know you're here. We've been here. There was kind of like that kind of thing going on. Giannis earlier in the game gave a shoulder check and fucking took Halliburton out. It was a physical game and there was a lot going on. Neesmith had wrapped Giannis up, took him down hard. He took Halliburton down hard. This game was already chippy. So I'm almost certain that the Pacers taking the ball was a either intentionally provoking 
or B, Giannis took it as intentionally provoking because the way the game went. This wasn't like a friendly game. And I do think like people like Middleton and Lillard, they were kind of seeing it as like the little kids like coming in and fucking with them, you know? I'm not saying what Giannis did was cool or whatever. I don't think you should ever storm into the back room. There's probably better ways to deal with it, of course. Uh, But I think there is more context to this story. And like it's 64 points. That's pretty big, you know? And I think under, from what I'm understanding, under any normal circumstance, uh, a 64-point game is like obviously getting a game ball. Trying to tell me Rick Carlisle has been in the league for like 40 years. I I saw his press conference. He's like, yeah, you know, we took the ball, gave it to the rookie. We always do that. You know, I didn't realize Giannis was going to want bullshit. You realized he wasn't going to want the ball. I think there's more to this. And Mm -hmm. I think the Bucks Pacers thing is like a thing now. And it's going to be a thing. Watch for the next game. Okay. Which, by the way, they have a pair of games coming up January 1st and January 3rd. So two weeks away. This is going to be fresh. Yeah. Back to back, too. Yeah. Yeah. So the Pacers, impressive team. Um, Man, but this Bucks, like, and then after the last game against the Pacers, you had Bobby Portis calling out everybody in the locker room. I don't think this has less to do with the Pacers, and this has more to do with the Bucks inside the locker room. And Giannis being vocal, I'm not sure if this is the look for the team. I got to be honest with you. I think this is going to go the other way. Hmm. This is good. This is gelling the Bucks. Okay. They needed something. You know what I mean? And like, I think Middleton's getting back healthy. This got Lillard invested. You got Bobby upset, you know, like I think, I think especially the way the East looks, I think this is just, you know, everybody like to, you know, likes to think you put a bunch of players together. It always just comes together in an instant and this and that. And, you know, after two weeks, we're like, oh, okay, Bucks are out of that top tier. Now it's just the six. No, they're not like the Bucks are going to be right there with the Celtics. And I think this is going to cement something for him. Honestly, Giannis is chippy now. He's he's old. He's he's jacked. He's he's an enforcer. He's chippy now. This is the new Giannis. The one thing I will say, I know how Giannis feels about loyalty and keeping stuff in the locker room. A collateral damage of bringing Dame in. Chris Haynes is Dame's guy. We've known yeah. this is not a secret. So anything that happens in that locker room is going like, to be reported by Yahoo. Instant like oral history yeah. going on. Like, yeah, so yeah. 100%. yeah, that's true. That's true. So. I could see where that clashing of it may not clash on the court, but in the locker room, which is, you know, the last few years we've seen the Bucks locker room be like a place where they're like doing fake wrestling moves. They have great chemistry. Yeah. You put a, a leak inside the locker room. I don't know. It kind of messes up what's made them great. All right. Well, as usual, you're, you know, the Bucks alarmist. It's falling. It's falling. The Bucks alarmist that I'm trying to talk you <laughs> off a ledge, like that it's okay. You still have all these guys who are pretty fucking good. You'll be all right. Now, I think Bucks are still going to be right there, man. I'm like, I'm not. And I do. I think something like this. I mean, guy fucking put up 64 points. Can we yeah. talk about that for a minute? Yeah. Phenomenal. Like, like, who's putting up 64 without shooting threes and shit these days? Like, yeah. he is the closest thing to Shaq like we have in the league as far as just pure physical dominance. Like, Giannis is not. He's not beating you off the crossover. He's not doing this shit. He's just taking these giant strides, and it's just like, get in my way or don't. But I'm getting to the hoop now. I kind of fucking love what's happening, you know? We need a game versus, like, the Wizards, because I feel like it could happen against either the Wizards or San Antonio, where he's just like, fuck it, I'm going for 100. I mean, with an 80-30 could yeah. be in his future. Yeah, easy. yeah. I love it. Uh, all right, Benny, let's go to a, another team that has had some issues but seems to be on the other side of it in the month of December. The Los Angeles Clippers and James Harden, guess what he did? He scored his 25,000 point uh, while racking up 28 nah. points, 15 assists, and 7 rebounds uh, when they beat the Golden State Warriors on Thursday night. Um, the Clippers improved to 5-0 in the month of December. Yeah, Here come the Clippers. The Lakers may have won the in-season tournament, but you know we have hotly contested battle for LA going on right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I love watching it. There just there just always needs to be a caveat on this, right? Yeah, because there was a time uh, not that long ago when uh, we had this conversation about Brooklyn, 
Like, oh, wow, look, really clicking. Harden's doing what he's supposed to do, facilitating. And like two months later, you're like, wait, what the fuck just happened? And then, oh, wait, like a year ago, it was the Sixers. Oh, they're really clicking. Here we go. Harden, the facilitator, pass it around. Oh, there we go. So it's like, dude, until I get through like a postseason. Do it in the playoffs. I, how? Come on. Well, like, like, listen, historical precedents mean something. And yes, this is really fun to watch right now. Like Kawhi is fucking clicking the last two weeks. This is like. Vintage Kawhi Leonard. Uh, James Harden didn't even take a lot of shots last night. and got like 15 assists, facilitating the whole team. Zubac and Mann can play some defense. Westbrook actually seems happy playing like 15, 20 minutes a night. Like he seems all right. But man, if I've ever like put a lot of books on like a thin shelf and I'm just waiting for something, for a screw to come out, for a book to fall off, for the whole thing to implode from the middle. It's this, because is Kawhi really, is he going to stay healthy and play at this level the whole time? Is Westbrook going to stay happy with those minutes the whole time? Is Harden, you know, the first time someone slights him or says something in the media about the fact that, oh, you're not a scorer anymore, you're this. And then all of a sudden he's trying to play Houston James Harden again and all of a sudden has a hurt thigh and now, oh, I if you don't trade me to the Bulls, I'm going to sit out or whatever the fuck's going to happen. So I love what's going on, but, you know, kill me for not being a, a true believer at this point. Well, do you want to, as we continue our NBA quick hits here, yeah. uh, do you want to head down to New Orleans and talk about Zion Level's fitness energy and, and his level? And apparently, quote, being able to eat the table in New Orleans oh. and that New Orleans chefs love him. Now, whose I, quote was this? Who said he could eat? This the table? was a Stephen A. a. Smith quote, though. He's kind of been ripping the shtick from my guy, Amino Hassan. Yeah. Who's been oh, doing okay. this for three years now? The, the what I, fat I, shaming? I, yeah, yeah. Thanks, Amin. Which yeah. Uh, in the NBA, I 100% support this fat shaming, especially when you got the talent of Zion Williams. No, I know, I know. It's it's tough to watch. I just heard a pod this week with uh, Doc Rivers talking about um, coaching uh, Glenn, Big Baby Davis, and just one of these guys who like you know those times he could click it and put it together, but you know. I'm not going to tell you the context of why I know this, but food is a disease. You know what I mean? Some people like to get drunk at night. Some people like to smoke weed at night. Some people like to jerk off with a fucking belt around their neck. Some people eat fucking two big ZDs and just their cortisol goes up and they feel good and it does something. And it's like, you know, so I think the one thing I just want to consider in this argument is if this guy does have a problem with food like this, the things that are being asked for him to do are not easy. And I think there's a lot of people in the world who don't have these problems, who can't really understand like food addiction. Like I come from a family and history of food addiction. I drive down Route 1 every fucking time. I got to tell my brain, no Dunkin' Donuts, no Wawa, no Taco Bell. I'm not even hungry. I'm just driving by it and I have a chance to. And I'm like, oh, cheesy gordita crunch sounds good right now. I have to fight that urge 24 hours a day, every day, because that's what like that is like. So I want to sit here and support a little bit, a young man who potentially has a problem in, I should say, one of the hardest fucking cities to eat. <laughs> oh my God. That city is nuts with food. Okay. Food is everywhere. <laughs> Bad food is everywhere. Like, like, try fucking getting your sweet greens in New Orleans. You probably got to go to Baton Rouge. I'll tell you what. Before that answer, a tremendous job turning the tables on me, number one. Um, and number two, I did not think that I had some sort of eating disorder before that answer. Because I, too, <laughs> have the exact same thing. My gosh, I'm going to stop trying to be stopping at the Milburn Deli oh, to try to get that bow tie pasta. And you live, you live, <laughs> I know. you live in the... The, the da most dangerous zone <laughs> the of all bagels, time. The pizza. I got, I got rusted Dude, right there. <laughs> when you got Van Hook cheese, yes. <laughs> Choco Pond Bakery, Wonder Bagels, <laughs> Worst Bar, Artichoke <laughs> Pizza, go on and on, Raza, in, in the, like a block. <laughs> oh, my God. That block of Jersey City is, is, is hell. It's a hellscape of temptation. 
So <laughs> apparently, who, who knows? Maybe tune in next week to see do I have a eating disorder? So. Yeah. Well, what, is there some kind of test we could take? Yeah, right. I'm like, bring bring in, do like one of those lie, lie detector things. Yeah, let's things. get like a Dr. Phil in here. You know one of those? Uh, all right. Well, speaking of another reality star, uh, we we're going to do this last week. Let's just hit it quick. Uh, Mark Cuban, uh, apparently on the way out of selling the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, he's, he's had quite a interesting couple of weeks. Uh, he announced that he is ending his run on the show shark tank after 12 years. And now he's, uh, he has officially sold the Dallas Mavericks to, um, as I, as I continue to scroll down here, the Adelson family, which they, you know, they have a bunch of casinos in Las Vegas. Um, he, Mark Cuban selling the Dallas Mavericks for $3.5 million, which it kind of brings up a, a interesting trend. Now we love to talk in the music space about who owns what and everything like that. I think it gets even more interesting in the basketball space. The valuations of these NBA teams aren't exactly the rocket ship that they were two years ago. Um, you know, with the uncertainty about a TV deal and everything like that. Uh, is you know Mark Cuban famously got out before the end of the internet bubble? Do you think that this is him getting out of the NBA team bubble? Hmm. It's interesting. I mean, I think maybe part of it is the idea that like it's a hard thing to understand from our perspective, but apparently, uh, Mark Cuban is a working class billionaire. Like, he doesn't have as many billions to throw at shit as other people, like the Adelsons and, like, you know, your Steve Cohens and your Bombers <laughs> and your people like that who, like, you know, to them, $5 billion is funny money, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's bizarre to say, but it is. To Cuban, it's not. So I do think there's an actual financial aspect to the fact that, like... He got rich off the tech bubble. I know he was heavily invested in like crypto and stuff like that. And you have a chance to essentially, what did he make on this? A $3 billion profit yeah. off his initial $200 million investment and gets to retain control of the thing he actually wants to control, which is the team in perpetuity, apparently, too. <laughs> so, you know, I think that that part of it, you know, I'm like, okay, if the Mavs start losing for five to 10 years, does this Adelson group go your perpetuity thing, go fuck yourself? Like, which I think they could probably, yeah. I'm not sure exactly how the deal is stated, but you know, and from my understanding, Texas is uh, attempting to uh, legalize some types of gambling and casino operations. The Adelsons want to be the first on this, new project around Dallas with a stadium and a casino. And so again, this is like crazy rich people shit going on that, that we'll never know about unless we got a, uh, a ticket to the high luncheon or whatever's happening. But I think that's really where it's coming from. And um, I don't know, credit to that guy. Like that's a self-made billionaire who just, you know, was a fan of a team his whole life and then just sold his stake in it for many billions of dollars. Like, no, oh, good for him. Not sure, you know, I can never know the reason. But yeah, it does seem like you said, as as kind of a next chapter sort of thing. I don't know if it's a it, it seems like people are still pretty stoked to buy a fucking NBA team. Um, so I don't know if there's like that bad of a devaluation in that. People were talking about a potential run for president. He also does have teenage kids that are gonna be up and out of the house soon. But I'm like, damn, did college get that expensive in seven years? <laughs> anyway. You need what? You need twenty million to go to Stanford now. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, who knows? That's how that's how they take it back. You know, there's no SATs anymore. It's just going to yeah. cost you twenty million dollars to go there. Maybe this is the equivalent. We talk about this all the time. Maybe this is the equivalent of like Neil Young and Bob Dylan selling their catalogs. Like the kids are in high school. You know, they're they're moving on. Like, all right, I'll just fucking rip two billion dollars right now start a half billion dollar trust for each of them, you know, just set everybody up and I don't have to worry about this thing anymore. Like, I don't know. You're meaning to tell me his son wouldn't want to like pull some trades, be like, all right, how do I like trade Kyrie for like Tyrese Halliburton? Like, yeah. I mean, on. maybe that, get in there. That would never not be cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. all right. Do you, do you want to wrap this thing up here? Or do you, or do you want to talk about sports illustrated and, and, uh, 
artificial intelligence. Uh, let's do one more. Let's do one all right. more. Let's do. All right. So this was a big story um, last week and the week before. Computer computer generated stories and writers have infiltrated SI um, in a company report. It found out that they were creating. AI writers, they were creating AI generated stories, and they were trying to sell them with these these AI generated photos of these people that they were saying were staff writers. Um, sports Illustrated is synonymous with A sports pictures and B sports writing. Um, the 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 pinnacle of the industry. So to see this fallout has been interesting. Their CEO and their entire brass that okayed this have been ousted by the Arena Sports Group that now owns the license to operate sports illustrated um you know as as the media business you know spotify had 1500 layoffs uh in, in this month as well it seems the sports media business and who has a say has gotten incredibly smaller and this just seems to be the next step in what these conglomerates are trying to do i mean let me ask you something yeah. like like could any of these companies and I, I'm not dissing these people because I like their content. But like, if you took away the salary you're paying Woj, the salary you're paying Shams, and you were just like, oh, all I have to do is feed Luke Kennard signs with the Grizzlies into my AI machine, and it comes up with a nice fancy couple paragraphs with a lot of adjectives that sounds like a human wrote, and it costs me nothing. I think this is going to happen more and more. And again, like, I think the trick to all of this is it's not about playing this game. It's the mistake that Sports Illustrated just made and that a lot of people are going to make is like, instead of attempting to stop it, instead of uh, attempting to uh, minimize it, use it for the things you're going to use and work harder on making more interesting and artistic content. Because that's the thing that AI still cannot do. They cannot create a, a long-form thing. They can't make you feel something. They can't do a podcast. They can't do a video. You know, there's like all sorts of stuff. So I think with everything, we have to incorporate the things we have no control over and push ourselves a little harder, you know? And I'm not sure where I stand on AI being a tool because there's new versions of like audio and video software where it's like there's a couple of things that they do where it's like, oh, this must be how they reacted when you went from editing film to editing it on, on like digital and stuff like that. It's like, oh, like there's too much automated. It's less of a, a craft than it, it used to be. So but I don't. I just don't understand from a society standpoint, if you're shrinking all of these industries um, and you're adding uh, you know, there's a lot of people that went for degrees in journalism, like myself, that are like, as you continue to shrink industry, you, you better adapt yourself to the world that's coming. Because quite frankly, getting a journalism degree in 2023, way less than when even when I graduated. And I'm, I'm just kind of confused about uh, with with betting and everything. What is the future of all of this? I mean, that's kind of why I've been getting out little by little. <laughs> yeah, no, it's interesting. And it's definitely going that way. And who knows where it's going to wind up, man, you know, but like, I do feel every artistic push over the years is, is met with, with this combination, you know yeah. what I mean? And it, it does seem really terrifying at the moment, but we got to push through it and work through it. There's no other way. I wonder if the future for everybody working is having like, you have, you're, like l less people working for these larger companies and more people trying to do it themselves because it just seems like especially in like the last few years the inconsistency of like oh people have these when their stock is good they have these mass hiring sprees and then when their stock is bad you get fired that that seems a little bit you know you can't really plan out your life that way no no listen i just told my kids the other day i was like yeah i don't know if you guys want work by the time you're adults Learn how to build and fix machines. Yeah. Or, or, you know, or software or like these types of things. Like, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that shit's still going to break. <laughs> you know, I'm reading a post-apocalyptic Kurt Vonnegut novel right now. Like, even the machines that run society need repair from time to time. You know, <laughs> that's the reason I can't believe the film Idiocracy. 
if they're that dumb, how did they build those awesome machines at the end? You know, <laughs> someone had to be around to fucking put the oil in. I'm just saying. Oh, well, we're always around and you can email us at the tuna podcast at gmail.com. And there are two P's in there. Follow us on all the social platforms at the tune up HQ on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, be sure to subscribe to the YouTube page. Uh, always coming out live there. And, you know, meeting you with the biggest and best wherever it may be. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny Horowitz on IG. And Benny, you got anything else? I think my mustache smells like cheese, Denny. <laughs> going back to Chicago. The show has ended. Gone peace. You've been listening to and watching the tune-up. <laughs> <laughs>